0: Look at, what he, look at what he asked the Galatians in Galatians 3.1. You foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, you're now being made perfect by the flesh? Now look at what he says in verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, works miracles among you. I'm sorry some of us went to churches where they said God doesn't necessarily do miracles every day anymore. But I want you to know that was not the experience of Apostle Paul. It wasn't his expectation. He audited his experience. He knew that God is a God of miracles. And he spoke of it with people and held them accountable to audit the experience. In other words, the manifestation of God in their lives. I think that's powerful for us today. We don't serve a dead God. We serve a God that is alive today, and he is who he is, which means he's what? He's a miracle worker. He does, he's, not, he's not bound by the, 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 the basic tenets of creation, folks. He, he made it, but it certainly doesn't govern him. Right now in this place, nothing's governing God. He's governing it. My illness is not governing God. He's governing it. Jesus looked at people and he said, go and be healed. You know what he was saying? You got to receive this thing. And now what that, doesn't that describe, let me ask you a question. The fall of man was a fall of countenance. You know, yourself, your being, right? We fell, and we fell from a state of receiving what God had in fullness to a state of not being able to, to get to it. And do you see the Savior everywhere he went? Just as you believe, let it be unto you. Receive what you believe about my Father, and it's yours. Get your countenance back up. Right? Get your countenance back up. Come on back up, man. Where God created you. That sounds terrible in the religious mind. But it's exactly what Jesus practiced everywhere he went. Go and be healed. Be in it. You, be. Right? Be. Be healed. Receive your healing. Let it be unto you. I mean, golly. For real, right? I mean, think about it. Get your countenance back up. What did it say about Cain? For his countenance had fallen. Hmm? And Adam, his countenance fell. He couldn't behold God. But we're born again. We're seated right beside Jesus Christ in heavenly places. Your eyes won't tell you that. Your heart's going to tell you. The Word of God testifies to your spirit and your heart's going to frame a picture of you seated right next to Jesus with sickness. You know where sickness is down on the earth. You know what that is? Under your feet. On your footstool and God's footstool. Demons under your feet. Under your feet. Why are they under your feet? Because you're seated alongside Christ in heavenly places. Amen? Amen. Can you see them where they are? Can you see them trying to reach up to ruin you? Because that's what they're trying to do. The man Jesus walked and he said, get behind me, Satan. I might not can completely deal with you right now because the time of the Father has not come. But I can deal with you in this moment. Get behind me. And your time will come when you're dealt with Fully. I saw you fall from heaven like lightning. Jesus testified to that, didn't he? I see your fall. You're not fooling me. I know where you are. You're not in heaven. You're nothing. You're nothing. I saw you fall. Can you imagine something to say to Satan any greater than that? You're nothing. I saw you fall. I mean, you think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sitting there about to go to the cross. He said, don't matter what happens. I'm, I, I'm submitting to this. You're not doing this. I'm submitting to this. And I want to remind you, I saw you fall. Wow. Amen. I laid down my life, but authority was given to me to take it back up again. Amen. Amen. He took it back up for everybody in this room. That's what the Word says. I'm not saying, I mean, it's what the Word says. He took that life up. He said, he said, he said the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, he became a life giver. He became a life-giving spirit. He was a human being. But in addition, he became a life-giving spirit. Everybody who's in him given life. Everybody who's in him healed. Everybody in him delivered. Everybody in him blessed with the blessing of Abraham alongside him. Amen. It just fell on you. I don't mean like just in a few minutes, but when you were born again, these things were there. Do you know, you, you, isn't it amazing if, if there were a tree of life behind me and the tree of life is actually in you? It's in heaven, but it's accessed in you by the Spirit, right? But, but isn't it interesting? The tree of life I could be standing this close to it would mean nothing to me unless by faith I went over and went. Right? I have a right to it but nobody's making me eat from it, are they? Yeah. But I say I'm healed. I'm eating. I receive it. I say I'm delivered. I say I'm blessed. And I say I've come in to rest. And and don't don't, don't misunderstand me. Not because I say it. Because the Lord Jesus Christ actually did it, and for my part, I believe it and declare it in faith. That's all that I'm saying there, okay? Does that make sense? Because we know from Romans 10 that Apostle Paul taught us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, you, you have to believe truly, or you could have just a vain, worthless confession, and many, and unfortunately, there are going to be people, right, that have made a worthless confession of Jesus Christ. It wasn't really in there. There may have been peer pressure to say it, right? Amen? All right, So, but here's the other part. Having that, now I've learned that it needs to be made legal in creation. And the reason human beings are different from every other animal, we can speak the words of God and not just go... <clears throat> Or bark or something, right? I'm not downplaying what God gave them. I'm just saying they weren't entrusted with guardianship of creation. Man was. And the way it would happen was not through might. What do we learn from the Old Testament? Not by might and not by power. But by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And the Spirit of God dwells in the man. And the Spirit of God makes things legal on the earth because he dwells in a man by the legal instrument of the earth, which is the tongue. And a man says, I truly believe that Jesus Christ died in my place and that God did this to set me free from sin and the curse. And because I believe it, I speak it out. And it becomes legal in creation. That's why Jesus came and he spoke the word. He is the word, but he came and spoke it, did he not? He made it legal. It says Jesus came and began to preach. Salvation. It made it legal. It made it real. It was in the mind of God the whole time. But it was enacted in Jesus Christ by His voice. Faith cometh how? By hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Amen. So faith cometh by speaking out. Amen. It's legal. So if we wanted to think about rest, oh, I got rid of my black magic marker. Well, the blue will have to work. Rest. Everybody wants to come into it. All right. I want to I share with you the two types of righteousness that are in grace, and they affect rest. And if we could, let's, let's just talk about it for a minute. And I want to just say that this comes from a heartfelt desire, I believe, kindled by the Lord to, to speak to something. I, I, don't, I don't think anybody does it in here. But let's just, it's pre, it's, it can be prevalent. And it's this whole idea of um, you need to live a righteous life. Make sure you're living righteous. Right? Now, of course, you should live a righteous life, right? So let's look at this together if we, if we can. I, I want you to, Romans 3, I'm just going to hit verse 21 right quick. Apostle Paul, Romans three twenty one, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Okay, now I'm going to go to verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You hear me? Now we'll go to chapter 4, which is the same, same line of reading right here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? How many of you Gentiles know Abraham's your father in the spirit? You're going to hear people say that's not true. Folks, Apostle stated it over and over and over that we are the seed of Abraham through Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay. What shall we say Abraham has found according to the flesh? Verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about. But he goes on to say, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accredited or accounted or credited to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages or the reward of the work, right, are not counted as grace, but as a debt. In other words, if he works, somebody owes you. They're in debt to you, right? But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Amen? I'm going to stop there. Now, if you will, we may come back here. I don't know. Let's go to James 2. Back towards the back. after Hebrews James 2 and I think I'll start here with verse 20 now this is going to sound different but do you want to know oh foolish man that faith without works is dead it's interesting Apostle Paul used Abraham now James is going to use Abraham ready ready Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that his faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? You with me? And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is is dead also. all right so you got one of them it sounds like on the at the onset saying works have nothing to do with it right And then you got James you got Paul saying that and then you got Apostle Paul and then you got Apostle James come right back along right and he's saying but it, it, it's not just faith, it's works right? So we come to a, a, a conundrum, which is it, <laughs> you know? And I want to I just suggest this to you. There are two types, two types of righteousness. And there really are two types of righteousness. All right? There's positional righteousness. Righteousness. That's what Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans 3 and 4. And this is the righteousness that comes from God. You understand, like, I try to describe it like this sometimes. There's, there are two different views of everything you read a lot of times in the Bible. There's the view of man looking up at God and what we can see. In other words, the view from our viewpoint, right? And then there's God's viewpoint, if you will, looking down at us, Right? And they they correspond, but depending on the writer and what he's talking about, we need to recognize whether it's God's viewpoint looking at us or our viewpoint looking up at God. These things can seem contradictory, but really they're not. Right? All right, so with Apostle Paul, that's God's viewpoint looking down at us. If you believe in Christ, you're righteous. That's called positional righteousness. You with me? What that means is God deems you righteous because you believe his testimony of his son. And it's true. When God looks down at you, you are sinless, i.e. righteous. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's righteousness that God gives. Right? Right? So what he does, he looks, at, he looks at Bill. We know this from Scripture. He doesn't see Bill. He sees Christ because Bill is hidden with God in Christ, right? And this is something you won't hear many people say, and I, you know, I want to be careful about how I say it, but really a Christian can't sin. We can miss the mark. We can break the law, and we can be lawless. But if we're truly in Christ, it's never accredited as sin. You know, and, and and the world has trouble with that. They make fun of Christians, you know, because, man, they, they, they think they saved and they still must, they, they don't understand they're actually articulating how good grace is and they don't realize it. Man, it's these Christians, right? They do all this bad stuff and they still think they're going to heaven. Exactly. That is exactly. But see, they, they're right about one thing. It's so good. It's amazing, and to them, if they could just see that that is exactly what God's done, they would hit them own. They'd hit themselves on the head and go, "How could I be so stupid? Of course, I want that. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Nobody does that, except God, who's done it through Christ Jesus, right? And they would all rush it, but they don't understand. They don't have a revelation that is true, right? So. But then there's there's another righteousness, right? And that's the righteous works of us. Right? Day in and day out. Because it is true, you do righteousness, right? I mean, you do live, you try to live rightly before God. Amen? Do you? Yeah. So, I, I want you to see something, if you will. And it's in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. And we'll let the Lord develop his, his, work, his story for us here this morning. Thank you, Father. But <clears throat> this, this kind of explains the whole thing right here. You ready? Made righteous means saved. There's a lot of words that mean the same thing. Saved or righteous or justified. They all mean the same thing. You're standing before God and there are no charges against you. And because there are no charges against you, he recognizes you as a child and not as not his child. Okay? So, um, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. And when it says, people get tricked on this. When it says, and this not of yourselves... It's talking about the grace is not of yourself. It's not saying that the faith is not of yourself because you do choose Christ. Okay? But the subject is grace. So we should know that, but many, many people are, are, you know, have trouble with that. But It's by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, the grace is the gift of God. Amen? And then look what it says. Not of works. So let me stop here and say for sure that the Scripture is right when it says Abraham believed God and God accredited it, accredited it, to, him, accredited it to him as righteousness. Stop there. If, if, if Abraham hadn't lived another day, he'd be in the presence of God as a son of God. Nothing else was required. You catch that, right? Because it's cool. This is in order. This is in the order that it happens. You with me? All right, so it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right. Now look at verse 10, because then we get the rest of it. We are his workmanship. Notice what Apostle says. It's not of works, not of your works. Actually, you are the work. We are his workmanship. In other words, he did everything. We are the work. He says, you think it's by your works? No. By grace you're saved through your faith, and it's not of yourselves. Because then you could boast, right? But you are his workmanship. In other words, just by choosing to believe his testimony, you become a work of grace. You become saved. You become just. By the work of God. That's why it's grace. Amen. Amen. You're saved through grace. God's part is grace. Your part is faith. God's part is grace. Your part is faith. But you can't be saved on faith alone without grace. God allows it to be faith. That's the grace. You don't deserve it, but God gave it anyway. That's the gift of God. Amen. Amen. Now look at the rest of it. We are his workmanship. And that, if you look at it in Greek, a lot of them, a lot, and a lot of translations even say, recreated in Christ Jesus. It says created in Christ Jesus, but the intonation of the word is recreated. How many of you know you are born again? Jesus said in, in John 3, right, you must be born again, recreated in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Now look at what it says. We become the work. But why are we recreated? For good works. Unto good works. You hear James talking now? If you're truly recreated, you'll have good works. Because that's your purpose. Your purpose changes when you're born again. That's why Paul said any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old, in other words, that don't mean the old all the way back to Genesis. That's talking about the old in you. How come Christians know in that verse, and we quote that verse like we drink water, how come knowing that we don't realize that we need to audit everything in our life and see whether it matches up with the new? We don't even teach people to do that a lot of times. Audit your whole life. Everything that you've been doing, everything that you've taken to be true, everything, everything that you were taught up until that point needs to be audited and see if it matches up with the new, doesn't it? Because if you become new and the Bible's clear, the old has passed away. What happens if you stay in the old? You can't have what's new, can you? What'd Jesus say? He said, I really have problems with old wine skins. Now, I've put something new in an old wine skin. All it does is bust it and it wastes everything. But if I can use a new wine skin, I can fill it up. Are you going to be one? It's funny. Recreated in Christ Jesus. Unto good works. Unto good works. Unto good works. So what is rest then? Last week we talked about the Garden of Eden. We said how many of you preserve the wall where you meet with God, right? How many of you spend that time to hear what God says about who you are, right? How many of you enter into that rest in the Spirit? That rest. I find, I find it, you know, I don't say a whole lot about this stuff because people don't ask but he brought up Bobby brought up something that I would never have said but he said it somehow the Lord tells me he says they headed for trouble sometimes and you know the thing of it is all you can do is offer because you can't look if it doesn't come from somebody's heart it's fake and it won't work I've learned that I have learned that I don't want a reaction out of anybody because they're doing it because I told them something it's worthless it's worthless it's worthless It's got to be true. It's got to be true. Amen? It's got to be true. So look at this with me if you will. Let's go to John. First John. That's back towards Revelation from where we are now. Amen? Peter you found James Peter, and then first John. Not to be confused with second or third, right? Uh, this is an interesting side note while you're turning. John would call himself in his gospel the apostle that Jesus loved, or the disciple Jesus loved. You know that? You know what his name means? Beloved, Beloved the one God loves. All John, all John did would take his name and put faith with it. And every time he ca- talked about himself, he was saying, I'm the one God loves. Amen. My name means that. A name is what you are. So John took faith and said, I'm the one Jesus loves. He wasn't saying he doesn't love anybody else. He was just saying, I'm the one Jesus loves. Every time he said his, he wouldn't even say his name. Instead, when he wrote his gospel, he said the apostle or the disciple that God loved or that Jesus loves. Amen. He was using his name without using his name. Isn't that cool? All right. So, if you will, let's go to chapter 3, 1 John. Verse 3. Delineating a couple of things here. Everybody who has this hope in Him purifies himself. All right. Look at First John three two. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Can can we get a revelation of this right quick? There are a lot of gospel songs and things that teach, isn't it going to be nice one day when we get to heaven? And it will be, you know, hey. But it's almost like we're postponing things to get to something, like we're we're having to postpone good things, right? And the saddest thing is that the church would ever believe that we're going to be the children of God then and we're not now. And I want to suggest something to you, because I don't think a lot of people know this. At least you sure don't hear Christians saying this. And you sure don't a lot of times see many Christians living like this. But there's a tremendous revelation in this verse. You got churches that believe that they're not even fully the children of God yet because their flesh hadn't been dealt with. And that they can't receive the things of God until they get to heaven. And that's not what John talked about. That's not what the apostles believed. I want you to see this. Look at what he says right here. Are you the beloved? Are you in Christ? Amen. He's talking to me. So, is he talking to you? He's talking to me. All right. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Now. You think God's children are, are demon possessed? Not unless they allow it. You think God's children don't know the truth about the world? Not unless they allow it. Amen. Now we are the children of God. Look at what he says. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Can you hear me? We're the children of God now, and we're going to go higher. It has not been revealed what we will be. And you got Christians, can't, we can't even believe we're the children of God. We can't get what we have and have no clue that well, they try, they're trying to wait to, like that's some kind of mountain. Being a child of God. And, and John sitting here saying 2,000 years ago, Hey, we're the children of God now. You have no idea how good it's going to get. That's what he said. Even now, we're the children of God. It hasn't even been revealed what we're going to be. <laughs> wow. But you know what he says? We're going to be like God. We're going to be like Jesus. Look at what he says. Beloved, we are now the children of God. And it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. (laughs) But we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Come on, if you're not like God, you can't lay eyes on God. Because the holiness of God destroys everything around it. His power. Look. If you, had, if you had corruptibility in you, the holy nature of God would just crush it. That's why God distanced himself from Adam and Eve at the fall. He didn't want to kill them. It wasn't, he was mad. It's who he is. He can't change. Sickness can't be around God. It ain't going to make him sick. It's going to make sickness dead. Devils can't be around God. Come on, man. Hey, it's not even being revealed what we shall be. All this stuff we've been teaching that we have a hard time understanding is what we are now. Isn't that, that's amazing. Come on now, that's amazing. John, just, he literally just laid the boom on everybody. Hey, we don't even have a clue what we will be. But I can tell you, you can imagine how Jesus looked when he was transfigured. Bright white. Gold feet flowing robe voiced like many waters and he'd been revealed what we shall be all the things that God has for those who love him eyes not seen ears not heard only a little bit been revealed by the spirit right know what it says in 1 Corinthians 2 first part there wow God's people need to get on their horse and seek him. There is so much in God. Is there not? There's so much in God. Come on, I find I'm just scratching the surface. I'm just barely getting the paint dust off down to the gold underneath. He's so good. If I sought him every day, 24-7, the rest of my life, there'd be more. There'd be more. Mm. Oh, and don't let where we are right now bother us. He's dealing with that too. he's dealing with that too just receive it in love and be filled with joy Adam and Eve did not beat themselves up folks because they didn't understand they did not beat themselves up because they were fooled they continued to have the fellowship they could with God in joy and in love. And I want to tell you something. You're hearing, if you're not careful, and the Lord just laid this on my heart to share. You're hearing all these, these uh, uh, prophecies now coming out about how bad things are going to get. And there's a purpose in that. Yeah, there is. But I, I want to tell you something. If that was the thing we were supposed to focus on day in and day out here at the end, Jesus wouldn't have spoke like he did. He just said, and when that time comes, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. But Jesus didn't. Let me tell you what Jesus did. He preached a Sermon on the Mount. When that time comes, I want you to be doing the same things you were doing before. Love your neighbor. Be ye filled with the Spirit of God. Spend time in the Word. Parent your kids. Meet together. Let us not forsake to gather together as the church. Oh, but an asteroid's going to fall in the ocean and it's going to kill all these people and a third of this and a... No. No. The church will be meeting that day. The church will be loving their neighbor that day. They won't be worried about that junk. They won't be scared about that stuff, if that happens. I'm not saying that's going to happen, by the way. Don't get, don't get scared at me, all right? Because the Jesus that we know is not a, God, not a Jesus of fear. The Jesus we know is the one that said, don't grow weary in doing good when you see the world get all scared and you see things start to shake, don't let it affect you. Amen. Continue to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. That's our job. Our job is not to get all worried about this stuff. Right? So it's okay because I am going to tell you now, those things, those, things are, those things are primarily for the unsaved, folks. And the sad thing is it gets preached to the church instead of going out where it's supposed to go out and it scares people in the church that are ungrounded right there's a good chance the church won't be here when any of this stuff happens if you believe in a pre-trib rapture right that means the church gets taken up right before these things begin to happen But just please stay focused on Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ didn't give a different theology for the end time. He said, you still love, you still take care of your neighbor, you still parent your kids, you pray in tongues, you read the Word of God, the gifts of the Spirit are still yours. Amen. That's what he was saying. He's saying, my people are my people. They don't change because things start getting shaky. Either in their personal life or in the world in general. The church has to be found solidly on the Word of God and not wavering in fear and this and that and throw, we're going to throw everything away and start prepping and move to the mountains. How are you going to do that if God called you to the coast? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> All it is is fear. So... Please don't let that happen to you. Hear those things. Listen to those things. Weigh those things. Pray about those things, because what you need to know is what God would have you to do in those things, right? If they come to pass. Amen. Amen. But fear is not part of our equation. Like I said, now that's primarily. Look, that kind of that kind of that kind of thing has its place. It's for the backslidden and the unsaved. It's for those that he has foreknown, but they've not made a decision. And so when things start happening, they wake up and they say, oh, there's a lot of bad stuff happening. I ain't never seen anything like this in my life. Then they hear some preacher saying, in the end times, it's going to be like this. And you know what it does for them? They go, oh, i got to make my decision. But the church person who's grounded, filled with the Holy Ghost, doing what they're doing, it shouldn't change a thing in their life unless unless Jesus calls them to go somewhere. It shouldn't change a thing. Their life should look the same every day, every day. Bow a knee to the Lord. Thank the Lord that you're here. Thank Him for His call on your life. And love your neighbor, amen? Is that not what we're called to do? It doesn't change. You don't think people will be raptured up right in the middle of loving their neighbor, praying in tongues and everything else. They'll be asleep. Some of them will be grinding. They'll be doing what the Lord's given them to do today. They're not going to quit everything out of fear. And No. Amen. So this ultimately is what I want to talk to you about. Is uh, The rest of what John says here is pretty cool. Look at what he says in verse 4. We're almost done. All right, we gotta be. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness, right? And you know he was manifest to take away our sins. Come on, this is a strong verse here. And in Christ there is no sin. It doesn't say that, but that's what he's saying. In him there is no sin. Come on, if you've got a fleshly mind, what you think that means? Is, well, if I'm in Jesus, I need, to quit complete, I need to completely quit sinning. No, but he's talking about the righteousness that comes from God. He's not talking about the righteousness that comes from you. So what he said is, in Christ, there is no sin. You may have missed the mark, but when God looks at you, he doesn't see sin. What did he say? He moved it as far as the... the If it's moved that far and God's not a liar, how then can you still... So you know what John's really saying here. You know he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Was he manifest once, or is he going to have to be manifest every time you sin? The Bible says in Hebrews, he, what, he, was a, he was given once, once for all, for the sin of the world. Amen? So if you're in Christ, the sin of the world is done away with. Far as east is from the west. That continues, by the way. <laughs> Depending on where you go, the east continues to run from the west. Amen? Whoever abides in him does not sin or can do no sin. However, what? Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. In other words, to God, a sinner is not in him. Right? Little children, don't let anybody deceive you. Now, this changes up, but I don't want you to be confused by it. Little children, don't let anybody... Notice who he writes to here. Huh. Y'all know there's levels in 1 John, right? right? If you've been here, you know it. John, John writes to three different groups of people. Fathers young men, and little children. Can I tell you that if somebody preaches to you out of 1 John, John, and they don't tell you which group it's to, they have not helped you at all? They might have thrown you under a bus and it's not even being spoken to you. I see this all the time, quite honestly, especially on YouTube and places where people are preaching 1 John to everybody in one group. And it's like, no, John clearly wrote different things to different people. So who does he write this to? Why does he write to little children, babes in Christ? Hebrews Hebrews 5 tells us there at the end, what does it say? For he who's still on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. It's easy for them to get confused. It's easy for them to get out of kilter in the things of God because they're not grounded. Right? So he says this to little children. So if you're not little children, just listen to it. Okay? Okay? Little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil. Let me stop. Because little children will get confused here if they're not careful. What They'll say, well, that means if I don't only do righteousness, I'm going to hell. That's not what he said. Christians work Righteousness sinners go to hell. And he had already laid the groundwork when he says if you're in Christ, you can't sin. What do Christians do? Last part of, well, they do that too, but last part of chapter 3, verse 3, what does he say? Everybody who has this hope in him, that's the hope of Christ, does what? Purifies himself. That means as best as you can, you quit sinning. It doesn't mean you'd be perfect. It means as best you can, you quit sinning. And what do you do then? And really, it's not even sin anymore, but you purify yourself. What? You purify your walk before God. That's what Christians do. And then he goes on and says, but if you're really in Christ, you can't sin because the Spirit remains in you. It doesn't mean the Spirit blocks you from sin, folks. Y'all know that. It can't mean that. Because how many of you have the Spirit of God in you and you can still sin? Everyone in the room. So you know that's not what he's saying. Instead, what he's saying, because that seed is in you, he sees Christ when he looks at you, and it's not accredited as sin, but yet it's accredited as righteousness because you believe. The seed is in you because you believe, right? Amen? So when he looks at you, it's accredited still as righteousness. Right? Amen? Okay. Okay. So little children, don't let anybody deceive you. He who practices righteousness is right, righteous. Hold on. But he who sins is of the devil. What did we just learn? Instead of looking at people and you better live a righteous life, you won't go to hell. You better be righteous. We've already learned, number one, that only God makes righteous. And positional righteousness comes from God alone through Christ alone. There's no other way. And we just learned the other side to the equation. But if you're truly saved, you will work righteousness. It don't have anything to do with sin. Can you hear me? It don't have anything to do with sin. Because what did Ephesians 2.8 teach me? I'm saved by grace through faith. It's not of myself and it's not of works. But I become the work. But I'm recreated as God's work through Christ Jesus unto works. What do you think those works are called? Works of righteousness. works of righteousness. Now, let me share this with you. If Abraham believed God, what was he believing? It wasn't wasn't just that there's a God. What did God kept telling him? Follow me. Go here and go there. What were the works of righteousness? Well, one of them was that he would sacrifice his son. Go, I need you to take take Isaac and sacrifice him. Right? Have you guys sacrificed your Isaacs? And I want to remind you, he didn't actually, it, God didn't ask him to actually bring it to pass, but he had to prove to himself and exhibit on... Why? Well, you, you know God knew his heart. Come on now, we're not fooling around. God knew his heart. It had to be legal on the earth. He had to actually do it. Because although God knew it, it was not manifest until he carried it out, right? God couldn't make him do it. He had to carry it out. So he put his son on that altar and lifted that knife back. And the, and the voice of the Lord, right? The messenger of the Lord said, don't harm the child. Now I know. Of course, God already knew. But now it's legal. It's known. Right? Have you sacrificed your Isaacs? If you haven't, you can't come into rest. Every time Abram did what God called him to do, he's back in the garden. He's walking with the Father. He's in rest. Every time he would do that, he's coming into rest. Because what is rest? Rest is you doing your work, but the work God gave you to do. Not laboring for a living, per se. Because the living, that doesn't mean you won't continue to do your job. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God has promised you to provide for you instead of you having to be out in the world fighting for it. You just do what God called you to do and your provision will come in. We call that rest. Amen? Not many Christians, I'm afraid, have that fully. But we're working on it. Here at Oasis, we come in to rest. Every day we get up new and we we come into rest. We commit by faith to come into rest. And we really we're willing to sacrifice those Isaacs. Whatever they are. God calling you here. God calling you there. You may have to do this. You may have to it's the thing that you really despise the most that you know God wants you to do. Probably. It's probably one of them at least. Amen. Father, thank you for the Isaacs.